Welcome to the Vernon Verdict. I'm your host, Jacob Vernon. Today I'm joined by G Sports, a media company based out of Homa, Louisiana, with high school highlights. Pretty much a high school highlight machine. Uh, mm -hmm. What started G Sports? Uh, pretty much, man. Uh, one of my good friends, I, I played ball against uh, in high school and we went to college together, Jaron Pierce. Uh, he was the Vanderbilt Catholic. Uh, he just kind of inspired me to, to to start my own youtube channel that's kind of how it all started he was like man g you know a lot about sports man you know what college a lot of these kids go to you know rankings you just know so much about it you're passionate about it man you should start a youtube channel and just start talking about sports and that's how i kind of started uh so i did that i you know i was making videos with me just sitting on my couch talking about the saints game talking about the pelicans talking about um different high school games that i was covering on fridays and then i took it to another level and then uh, got one of my IT guys that I'm real, real, real cool with to to build my website and actually turned it turned it into a you know a media platform where you know I was doing stories not not just highlights but like doing stories on the games uh, evaluations you know going to these different camps and uh, it kind of just then elevated to what it is today. And the passion, that's a good point. You do have a good passion for it, and you do have a lot of skills in terms of re recollection of stats and whatnot, but yep. you do have a good skill in filming. Have you always enjoyed filming, or have you always been good with that? Yeah, uh, man, I actually had to teach myself. Honestly, I started off, you know, recording games and doing interviews with a with an iPad, and uh, and different people I would meet along, along this journey, man. They would give me different tips, like, look, get this kind of camera and use these kind of settings and... and, and be, um, record from this angle so little nuggets that different people I, I met throughout this journey man they, they gave me some some good advice on, on on how to go about recording you know basketball games football games track meets whatever it is camps and uh you know i just i just wanted to to take it to that level where you know it was professional you know what I mean? I didn't wanna. I didn't wanna just be out there, just kind of just recording. And 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 when you look at it, the quality is bad, and it's a bad angle. You can't really see the play. I, I wanted to. I wanted it to look as professional as possible. Of and course. so, uh, you know, after about maybe two years of using the iPad, I was able to go get me a, a real good camera, a Canon. And uh, you know, you you definitely see the difference in the quality of, of the content. And uh, you know. Uh, I'm in. I'm in a process now of upgrading to another camera um, to get it to get even better quality. Um, you know, going forward. With with the camera and, and just all that different stuff, how did you put yourself in the situation to learn more? Because that's vital. Being around people who you know know more than you or just are already experienced with that. Was there anybody that was key and and helped building G Sports? Mm, yeah, uh, it was a bunch of people, man. Uh, you know, I had I had a, a guy I went to high school with named Nash Petrie. Uh, he kind of helped me along this journey with you know different apps to use when it comes to editing, uh, and so I, I you know I I was I'm a big time visual learner, so uh, I would watch him use these apps and and then go home and teach myself, and so uh, and just different other people, man. There's so many of the names that that help you, you know, when you when you're in that pioneer stage, and so. Uh, I'm I'm not a stranger to to trying to teach myself on on how to get better at something, man. And you know I try to be a perfectionist as much as I can. But you know the biggest thing when you, when you're trying to build something, man, is just not being afraid to fail. As a cliche as that might sound, um, you know, and I've I've made a lot of mistakes along this along this journey, man. But I always try to um, correct those mistakes, man, and just get better at it. 
Because w- without failure, you don't really learn. The failure is yeah. what helps you learn. Yep. Especially in this. Uh, I'm interested, though. Is it difficult to film a game without getting distracted? Like, you're going to these great state championship games. You're seeing players who are already ready for the next level, if not the level after. Yeah. Uh, is it hard not getting caught up in the mix of that? Kind of, man, because, you know, I'm a people's person. I like to think I'm a people's person, man. You know, I, I, I know so many people that, you know, be on the sidelines, whether it's a college coach or, you know, kids that's on the team, or it might be a parent that's helping out the team sideline that I'm on. And, they want to talk throughout the game. Sometimes I have my son at the game. He's asking a lot of questions, and so um, it's easily it's easy to get distracted, man. Sometimes my phone is going off with you know different people hitting me up about what's going on in the game, or it might be a kid's parent in the stands wondering like, is it if he got hurt? Like, is the injury serious? You know, it's right. a lot of different dynamics coming to play, man. When you're at a game, and so yeah, it's 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 easy to get distracted, but I try to stay um, focused on it because you know. One thing about when you covering a game, man, especially if you're recording it, you miss that one highlight, and that could like be the make or break of the, of the, of the game. You know what I mean? Like, right. and everybody wants to see, like, when he caught that big time touchdown, and you missed it. It's like you you, you can't get that play back. You right. know what I mean? So, so I try to stay focused, man, as much as I can. I agree. Yeah, I, I've had a similar moments where like you just miss a big play, like spring game. Garrett Newsmeyer hit Jack Bash over the top of the end zone. Big play, couldn't yep. get it on film. It yep. was just the angle, it just didn't work. Yep. Those type of things definitely hurt. But yep. when when you're filming a game, how do you choose what game to cover? Is is it just the notoriety of the game, the proximity, or yeah? I, uh, so people, I'm all I've always since I started it, man. Getting, I get a lot of DMs and random text messages or, or people just hitting me up. And saying, man, come cover our game, man. And, you know, we play this team and blah, blah. And so, um, you know, G Sports, man, I, I, I like to cover games that I know is going to be good matchups. I don't right. want to go cover a game where a team is going to beat a team 40 to nothing. Of you know course. what I mean? I want to I wanna go cover a game where it's going to be pretty evenly matched. Um, and where they had some, some, some good prospects on each team, too. Um, I pride myself on covering games where – where they have players that sleepers to me, um, and the Tri Paris where I'm from in Homer, uh, we're known we're known for having sleepers, man. That people end up finding out about them, you know, whether it's their junior, senior year. You know, I typically know about them early on, you know, when they're in eighth, ninth grade, getting ready to go into high school. And so I like to cover games like that to shed light on these kids that people might not know about because they go to a small school, they might live in a small area. And so when I go to this game and I cover them and I tweet about them and I write an article about them, I put a highlight about them, now everybody's like, dang, who is this kid? And right. so um, that's typically how I choose what game I'm going to cover every every week. What are the, what are some standout games that, at the top of your head, you can think of were some of the best games you've ever got to cover? Man, uh, you know, this past, I mean, every year is different. Every year is different. So this past year, man, that Westgate and uh, Warren Easton game in the state championship, 4A game, it came down to the last play. You know, uh, Warren Easton was on a two-yard line, man. They had four attempts to get in, and they couldn't get in. And Westgate stopped them on the last play and was able to win a state championship. Um, and they had so much adversity and so much uh, emotion going into that game because the head coach's mama had got rushed to the hospital earlier that week. Um, their offensive line coach had got rushed to the hospital the morning of the game. And so, and I was on their sideline, man. You could just see that. The intensity and the the fire in their eyes, man, how bad they wanted to win that game. And so 
that was a, a really, really good game this year to cover, man. You know, and you know, the state championship two in the dome under them lights. So uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed covering that that, that four A state championship with Westgate and, and uh, Warren Easton this year. And those games under the lights definitely do help provide a lot of good insight and a lot of good recruits. Let's talk about some of the good recruits you've covered. Uh, Mason Smith, Ja'Kai Douglas, Jalen Lucas. Uh, you definitely have helped out a lot of athletes from your area perform. Yeah, no uh, kind of give me your reaction on just their careers and how, how proud you are to see them move on where they are. Man, I'm always proud of, of, of kids that's coming from, you know, where I was born and raised at, uh, you know, you know, when I was in high school, man, we had so many good players, so much talent come through that area that just didn't get noticed. And then people just didn't understand the process either. You know what I mean? And so uh, that's what that was. That's what played such a big part in me wanting to start G Sports, man, because I've been around this game for so long, met so many people, built so many relationships. So I wanted to be have opportunity to to give these kids a platform. And so, like, when you talk about people like Mason Smith. Um, who, you know, quiet as kept. Like, nobody really believed in Mason when he first got the Terrebonne. Um, I, you know, I remember when Mason was in the ninth grade and uh, people were saying he was soft and he big for nothing. But I knew that Mason had the traits to go be a big-time college football player. It, he, just, he just had to tap into, you know, that killer inside of him. Uh, and uh, when me and Mason end up first talking, I, I'll never forget the first time I met him, man, in Lisa Park Gym. You know, he was playing basketball. And uh, I didn't even know who he was when I first saw him. And then he told me he go to Terrebonne, and we started talking. I was like, man, look, the first thing, you no, know, I asked him, I said, what you want to do with your life? He said, I want to go play college football. I said, all right. So I said, man, do you have a Twitter? I said, no. I said, man, that's the first thing you need to do. You need to get you a Twitter, man, because that's where all the college coaches at. And I started telling him about these camps. And uh, the first camp that, that me and Mason went to was at ULL. Um, that was Billy Napier's first year at UL, and he offered Mason, you know, uh, instantly, instantly, man. But you know, at that count, Mason showed me something, man. Uh, he had these cleats on, and something happened where he started bleeding, like his his sock was full of blood during the camp. And uh, most kids, especially at that age, man, they'll quit. Like, man, my. You know, my ankles bleed, man. I'm hurting. I, I can't do it. I'm about to just shut it down for the rest of the camp. But Mason kept going the rest of the camp. And, you know, Billy Napier and the rest of that staff at UL took notice to that man and they offered him. And I think that's when the switch went off in Mason's head. Like, damn, I could I could really be good at this. And then the second camp we went to was at Southern Miss. And uh, he got his second offer. And then it kind of just took off from them, man. And then, you know, Ja'Kai and... Ja'Kai, man, you know, he, he's another kid that just just a, one of those people that nobody expected to, to, for him to be in the position that he's at because, why? Wow, he's small. Right. You know, he's about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, same thing with his brother, Jalen Lucas. They're small. But when I tell you that, that they are two of the hardest working kids that you'll ever be around. And so that's why they're in the position they are. You know, Ja'Kai's over there at Florida State, man, doing big things. Um, He had a really, really good spring. Um, Jalen Lucas, man, was an early enrollee this year at Indiana University, making big things happen out there. I think he's going to have an opportunity to make a big impact in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you talk about Caden Lewis, you know, another kid from Terrebonne that's, that's, that's going to be an a, a impact freshman, I think, at Arkansas State this year. Um, you know, Kyron Lacey, man, over here at LSU. You know, uh, his journey just was incredible. 
And so just to see those kids, and I, I'm, I'm forgetting a lot of kids, Cedric Williams that went to Ellender's at University of Houston, uh, Chavez Brown, you know, over there at Butler Junior College in Kansas, uh, his spring game is this Sunday. Um, I think he's he's a kid that that's a sleeper that people are gonna gonna soon enough find out about um, this season, man. You know, big kid, six two, two hundred and some pounds, man. Uh, um, Demarcus uh, Mitchell, that with the Tuckerel High, he he he's in the draft today. You know what I mean? So he has he has an opportunity to get his name called. Uh, Devon Tavian Martin, that went to Ellender, he has an opportunity to get his name called today or tomorrow. So man. It's so gratifying, man, seeing all these kids from my area, man, put they put themselves in a situation to not only change the, the the dynamic of their football career, but their life. Because, man, that, that football it, it it brings so many perks. You know, networking, um, different people that you gonna meet um, can put you in a position, man, to to be very successful down the road. So, it's been a hell of a journey, man. And and the young pups that's coming up in our area, man, we got some really good ones. We got some we got some really good ones. So I look, I look forward to covering it. these kids coming up, man, bringing them to camps and and, and keeping this thing rolling in the tribe parish. And you you do provide a good support system to these kids in Terrebonne Parish. What you do is definitely needed. Not everyone has you know someone to either ground you know help help them give them tough love or yep. just you know ground the kids and you know instill that confidence in them. Like Mike Tyson says, confidence breeds success. And and kind of going back towards that Mason story, uh, growing up with Mason and just seeing Mason throughout, there's just definitely one thing that sets him apart from everyone besides size is the commitment and just a drive to do something. What no matter what it would be, he is one of the most focused athletes I've yeah. ever seen. Period. Yep. Not yep. even just people. Uh, but G Sports has grown into a very popular media outlet. It seems like your main platform is YouTube, where you've accumulated over 23,000 subscribers and over 6.7 million views. Yep. How, how has that process and that journey been? How has that... Man, it's been cool, man. Uh, I, I remember, like, my first 15 videos, man, uh, you know, I was just happy to get to 100 views. Right. You know what I mean? You know, it's baby steps. Baby steps, man. Small, small, small prizes, man. And, uh... Uh, you know, everybody look for that overnight success, right? You, you want it to happen fast, but when you're passionate and you love what you're doing, man, you don't, you're not looking for that gratification, right? Then and that, man, you just, you just enjoying the process, you just enjoying the journey. That's what I've been doing, man, over these last five years, just enjoying talking about sports, enjoying uh, debating sports, um, enjoying going to cover these games and building relationship with these kids and putting good content out for these kids and helping them get that notoriety. That they deserve, man, and so that's what it's been about for me. And then before you know it, man, you know you're over twenty thousand subscribers, and I'm like, damn, that's crazy. I, I just remember when I was just at a hundred subscribers, and and so it just it just show you, man, when you're passionate about something, man, and you're not um, focused on the end results. Man, good things will always happen. And not know? only that, but going hand in hand with just your overall personality and the yep. fact that you're a good, caring person, that does go a long way. Definitely. And, uh, no doubt. Speaking of the games you're covering, you covered the LSU spring game this past weekend. We got the privilege to be on the field for that one. What was your yep. overall insight on the QB competition? What, what, what do you see out there? Man, I, I, I've been, I'm a, you know, so I'm a Nussmeier fan. Uh, I like, I like Garrett Nussmeier, man. I, I like his personality. I love his moxie. I love his confidence. Um, I just think he it's just something about him that 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 screams winner. So, um, you know, I, I went to about three or four practices during the spring and uh some of the throws that he made at those practices and in the spring game this past Saturday, um, was very impressive, man. And and and, and he put some throws in them tight windows um consistently. Um he's mobile. Um and to me, and uh, you know, I wrote this in my in an article 
um, about the spring game and just the spring as a whole, it seems like the receiving core is just flocking to Nussmaier more out of all the quarterbacks. Um, don't get me wrong, man. I think Jay Davis is a, is a talent. Miles um, Brennan has a, has a strong arm, and he's a veteran. Walker Howard, who I think is is phenomenal, and I think he's going to end up, you know, um, being a first round draft pick one day when his time comes. But I just think today, if I had to pick a starting quarterback for LSU, man, it would be Garrett Nussmeyer, man. And uh, I know it's going to be a battle going at the fall camp. Uh, I expect, you know, it to come down to maybe the, the week before the, the first game of the season against Florida State. You know what I mean? And uh, but I think Garrett Nussmeyer is 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 probably the the guy. That's, that, that's going to be behind center um, week one against Florida State in the Superdome. I agree, because the only thing that I had on Nussmeyer as a con or a negative going into this spring game mm-hmm. was the fact that his decision-making skills seemed like, you know, they needed him tuning up when looking at his performances last year, like in right. the game against Arkansas and whatnot. And, you know, that comes with time. He's mm-hmm. a freshman. But I think that he showed enough confidence. Like you said, he also showed the ability to put the put the ball in those tight windows mm-hmm. and to just get the ball down the field. He had right. the most yards at halftime for sure. He and at halftime was when the the tide really turned yep. for the offense. They yep. they were struggling up until that point and he still did his thing. He still got the ball down the field. He still hit guys and like you said the wide receivers are flocking to him more. Uh with Keishon Booty out, I'm going to say that him or Jack would probably be your number one receiver. The fact that Jack lives with Nussmeyer is going to be huge this season because now you've got Jack Besh being around his quarterback all the time. Mm-hmm. Jack Besh is going to become comfortable with these guys. Yep. I, I do think that that chemistry that LSU is building here is, is, is going to be strong. Uh, I've also heard that the Brian Kelly coaching staff is a lot more calculated and a lot more structured than Coach Ogeron. Yeah, uh, and then I think Joe Sloan is doing a great job uh, with those quarterbacks as well. Man, Joe Sloan, uh, you know, I've had the privilege to to, to meet him about five or six years ago uh, when he was at Louisiana Tech and uh, you know his passion and how thorough he is and how detail oriented he is um, it you can you can see it paying all it's paying off for these quarterbacks that's why the, that's why the battle's so tight you know that's why you don't see anyone really separating himself too much even though I think Nussmeyer does have a slight edge um, I think Joe Sloan is just doing a great job of, of making things simple um and, and and putting them in position, man, to be successful, and so, uh, you know, you bring somebody like Jaden Daniels in, um, from Arizona State, who's been a two-year starter, and people thought he was just gonna come in and just be the the number one guy out the gate, but you know, Miles Brennan is saying having something to say about that, and Nussmeier is definitely having something to say about that. So this is gonna be a battle to be, to be, you know, to keep your eye on going forward into this fall camp, and I just can't wait to see how it's gonna play out. I agree. Um, Denbrock, Kelly, and Sloan all kind of seem to unanimously, deci- unanimously decide that they want a heavy RPO offensive scheme mm-hmm. and they want a mobile quarterback. I think out of you know the four quarterbacks we got, two of them are you know more predominantly mobile than the others. Yep. Uh, Jaden Daniels and Nuss. However, I'm just going to err on the side of caution because Jaden Daniels did have that ten touchdown, ten interception season. Doesn't seem like he found his footing yet. It definitely, mm-hmm. definitely, a lot of things could change. However, the fact that Garrett Newsmeyer fits. That that desire, mm-hmm. the fact that he can get those things done, the skills he and and the fact that his dad is a, a NFL quarterback coach. I mean, that's huge. He's going to be around professional help all the time. He definitely has that work ethic, and he definitely has that dog and grit in him. And he's going to be, like I said earlier, in he's going to be surrounded by these guys who are all focused and ready to win. Um, 
Brian Kelly's new schemes, though, like we were saying, uh, one of those things that he used to like to do is use tight ends, but LSU is, you know, lacking tight ends. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you feel about guys like No Storage or just different different guys that we got, whether they're, we use them in the run block scheme or just the pass game? How do you feel about the tight end position at LSU? Well, Brian Kelly pre's Cole Taylor in the press conference uh, on Saturday, and I was impressed with Cole Taylor. Um, not just in the spring game, but in the practices that I went to. Um, he moves really, really good for a kid that's 6'5", very fluent, um, can make you miss in open field, um, soft hands. Uh, I, I think with him, it's going to come down to him just being a, getting, getting a little more tougher, um, you know, getting a little more grimier, especially when you're talking about playing against the Bamas and the A&Ms and the Floridas and the, you know, Georgias of the world. You need somebody, you know, that, that tight end position that's going to be tough-minded and gritty. And so... That's the only question mark about Cole Taylor, but he definitely he definitely has the tools to be um, really successful in his offense. Then you got Mason Taylor coming in as a true freshman. Um, I, you know, I don't expect him to have um, too many snaps as a true freshman, but I can see him getting a, a, a few spot uh, snaps here and there throughout the season. But I think that might be a position that they might ended up end up uh, using one of those last two scholarships on. Um, I know they. Have, I think they have two scholarships left, and they have to make a decision on what who they're gonna use it on before May first. So I think tight end uh, could be a position they might they might tap into. They're gonna have to find someone that's gonna bite when they get bitten. Yep. Yep. Looking yep. at Saturday as well, John Emery. Uh, there was some question marks circling after he had rolled an ankle. Just you know, under trying to understand the severity of the situation, he came out and said it was something minor. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. That he he showed that on Saturday, he still performed well. How, how, how do you how would you grade John Emery's performance going? Man, John Emery gonna be a top five back in the country. He Agreed. will be a top five back in the country. You could book it, barring he has any major injury. He's gonna be one of the best backs in the SEC and in the country this upcoming season. Uh, his body looks incredible. He's moving phenomenal, uh, and and he's just that that prototypical back that you want. Um, you know, in today's in today's uh, college game, and so uh, I, I anticipate that John Emory is going to have a hell of a year. Then when you add somebody like Noah Kane, who transferred from Penn State, um, who was a, a five star coming out of high school, I think that's going to be a hell of a tandem. You know, and you still got Bradford and 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 Josh Williams and those guys, so that's going to be a deep running back room. But I think Noah Kane and John Emory, those two, man, that's going to be a hell of a, a hell of a tandem to watch this year. And with Will Campbell being put on that offensive line, it looks like that offensive line is getting beefed up. We got tight ends coming in here playing smash mouth football. We definitely look like we're 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 airing for a heavy run style slash mobile offense. That that's going to be a little different. LSU hasn't you know really been towards that size, but that's gonna that's gonna be be because of Brian Kelly and mm -hmm. the schemes that he's bringing over. We definitely have a different coach. How do you feel about the hire of Brian Kelly? To be all to be like frankly honest with you, man. You know, I wanted them to pick Billy Napier. I wanted Billy Napier to be the head coach at LSU just because of um, he's forty-one years old, um, coming from under that saving tree, Dabo Sweeney tree. Um, you know, he 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 knows what it looks like. You know what I mean? And he understands the landscape of recruiting in the South. Uh, and what he did at UL, <laughs> I mean. I think they only lost four games. No, I think they lost five games in his four years at UL. Um, he was coach of the year twice. Um, he had, I think, six guys drafted. Um, and this, I mean, then if you count the the ones that's going to get drafted this year, um, that's going to probably be another 
eight to nine kids that's gonna get drafted. So uh, I just thought Billy Napier was the was was the was the fit, just because you know he was already in Louisiana. There's a lot of familiarity and stuff like that. But Brian Kelly is not no slouch. Uh, you know, winning percentage speaks for itself. He's won everywhere he's gone. Grand Valley State, uh, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. You know, he knows how to how to put a program together and, and put a good product on the field. So, uh, I don't think it's a bad high at all. I just thought Billy Napier, for the long term, um, being that he's 41 and, and just the landscape of how he's, he knows Louisiana, he knows the South. Um, I thought that was going to be a, I thought that would have been a better hire, but I think Brian Kelly is going to have this, this program going in the right direction. Respect. Segue into the NBA playoffs tonight. The Pelicans are going to play game six in New Orleans. Uh, there's rumors that Devin Booker is going to return tonight. How, how would you think that the Pelicans would uh, fare with Devin Booker returning? Uh, I, I don't think Devin Booker is coming back tonight. Uh, I think that's yeah, a smoke screen. Right. Uh, you know, I, I've said it all along, man. Yeah, and I'm a rock. I'm a Houston Rockets fan. Been a Houston Rockets fan since I was a kid. Same. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I root for the Pelicans. I don't root against them. But I just had to be realistic, man. I was telling a bunch of my my friends, I was like, look, Pelicans had a nice season. Willie Green's done a great job. B.I. and C.J. McCullough's been a hell of a tandem. But they're not going to win this series. Even when Booker got hurt, I, I knew that Chris Paul, Monty Williams, and, and just that, that that team already have all that Phoenix. Um, they were going to figure it out. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't make sense to bring Booker back. They can beat the Pelicans without Booker. So why risk, you know, and, and a hamstring, man, that's something that's a lingering injury. So I wouldn't even risk bringing him back uh, for a game six, a closeout game. Right. Um, in the first round. Yeah, in the first round when you've, you've clearly shown that you can beat them, you know, with double-digit points without him. So I, I don't anticipate Booker coming back. Um, you know, I expect the Pelicans to have a very competitive performance tonight and, and, and give their home crowd a, a – a, um, something to watch tonight and, and to be excited about, but I just think Chris Paul and, and, and that Suns team gonna figure a way um, to put them out of misery in that fourth quarter. I agree. They have that championship chemistry, championship culture. Suns were just in the finals last year. However, uh, the Pelicans shoot themselves in the foot by shooting so poorly. They shot three for eighteen in Game Five. The starters yeah. did. That's a sixteen percent for the starters. I mean, Alvarado came off the bench and went two for six, but that's once in a blue moon. But speaking about Alvarado, he's got a lot of heart and soul, and he's got a lot of things that you just can't teach in terms of just commitment and whatnot. How about yeah. that steal of uh, <clears throat> him on CP three? Yeah. Alvarado, man, that's a he's a uh, a fan pleaser, man. That's 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 a that's one of those players on the team that when he comes in the game, it kind of energizes the crowd, and you need that, especially in a in a game like this tonight at home. And, you know, he's going to be that that person that when he comes in, um, and he hits a shot, that can that can change the whole momentum the whole momentum of the game. You know what I mean? Um, I think the key for the Pelicans is. Is Devontae Graham, man. Devontae Graham started off the season really, really good. And then like the last month and a half of the season, man, he kinda hit a hit a wall. Um and then Willie Green kinda uh started uh reducing his minutes a little bit. And so I think his confidence kinda has went down. Uh but if he can come in tonight and, and, and get a Pelican between twelve and fifteen points, I think that could put him in position to 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 force a game seven. But uh, he just not had. He has not been on his A game. You know, this last month and a half of the season. Now, last game, I think he ended the game with like five. The game they won, I think he had like thirteen off the bench. 
So they need a performance like that from him uh, to be able to be able to, to, be able to uh, force a game seven a day. So I think that's the key tonight. I agree. Well, with Z- with with the Pelicans being like this, Zion's not coming out and playing. What do you think? What do you think summarizes that controversy? You think that that's more Zion, or is that more the Pelicans airing on the side of caution because of how much injuries stars? Well, Lee Anderson, man, his stepdad came on and and, and gave a lot of clarity on this whole situation on the Jordan Collada show. And, you know, I've had the privilege of meeting Lee Anderson and Zion on a number of occasions on on the circuit uh, for the McDonald's All-American. And, uh, you know, they they seem like real genuine people, real straight up people. So just listen to that interview. I believe everything Lee Anderson said. I believe when he, I believe him when he says that Zion wants to play, he wants Zion to play. You could tell he didn't want to throw David Griffin and Trajan Lane under the bus. But if you read between the lines, you can tell that the Pelicans are holding Zion back. And I think it was all strategic and planned out when you seen him put that Instagram post up of him dunking between the legs. He's letting people know, like, look, I could play. I'm, I might not be 100%, but I'm good enough to help this team and, and contribute and complete. So y'all don't think this is on me. This is on the Pelicans. And I think that's what that post was about. So that would put Zion in a different light when compared to someone like uh, Ben Simmons, who just completely quit on his team. How do you feel about that? I, I, you know, I just, I just don't understand that whole Ben Simmons situation, man. It, I, I've been trying to figure it out. Uh, I think Rich Paul needs to add some clarity to that situation. Um, you know, I've, I've yet to hear Chris, uh, I said Chris Paul, Rich Paul, do an interview or, or, or kind of. Elaborate on some of the decisions that's been made for Ben Simmons over the last two years, and so it's, it's, it's a head scratcher. I don't know if Ben Simmons is really hurt. I don't know if it's something going on with his mental for real. Uh, I, you just don't know. You don't know because it's something different every other month. They say he was supposed to play in Game Four, and then all of a sudden the day of the game they say, "Well, he woke up and he had tightness in his back." It's just I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean. I know if I'm the owner of the, of the Brooklyn Nets, I'm kind of second-guessing myself on why I made this trade for Ben Simmons. So how do you move on from that as the team owner with Ben Simmons? Do you get rid of him? Do you kind of try to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with him? Or what, what, how do you move forward? I mean, I'm pretty sure they've had a, they've had a sit-down with him and Rich Paul and tried to come to some kind of common ground. But it's going to be hard to move him again. It's going to be hard to move him again, man. Um, they was lucky to... to um, well, I'll say the seven and sixes was lucky that they was able to get off him. You know what I mean? Um, that contract's heavy. Yeah, you know you got to pay him a lot of money, and, and he's not playing. And uh, when you start talking about the mental health side, that would worry me if mm-hmm. I'm an owner, if I'm a coach, because this has nothing to do with his ability. You know, I know they keep talking about his back, but I think it's just so much more than that. I think it's really something going on with his mental health, and. Uh, I, I I mean I, I just don't anticipate them being able to move him. I right. just don't see it. I just don't see it. he making too much money. He hasn't played. He doesn't have any real value to himself right now. So you know they're probably gonna be stuck with him. Ben Simmons has uh, made ninety million dollars so far in his NBA career. He's set to earn over the next three years another hundred and ten million dollars. It's gonna put his career earnings at two hundred million dollars, and he's probably played collectively what three four seasons. Yep. 
Yep. So yep. That, that's uh, what Floyd Mayweather would call legalized bank robbery. <laughs> He's definitely back in the brink struggle. That's it. With the Nets getting swept, who's to blame for this? Is it going to be players or coach? You got Steve Nash, who's a second-year head coach. Uh, he had Mike D'Antoni on his staff as well, who's you know definitely controversial with the seven-man rotation or just different aspects of that. But also, the players didn't seem to buy in. It looked like there was no chemistry, and they had – uh, off the court issues a lot. They had rumors of guys like you know last year Kyrie and Harden getting in arguments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What do you think is more the problem, chemistry or coaching? I mean, what Kyrie came on and said when they first decided to go to Brooklyn, they they didn't need a coach. So you know when you come out and make a statement like that, that kind of lets you know uh, how he's going to handle the situation when it comes to him being coached. And if you go back to when he was in Boston, him and Brad Stevens had a lot of run-ins. You know, Brad Stevens would call certain sets and Kyrie would ignore him and, and want to do his own thing. He was calling, you know, he, they called him a freelancer. And so Steve Nash is more of Kevin Durant and Kyrie's friend than he is their coach. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he kind of trained Kevin Durant and Kyrie in the offseason um, for a few years. So it, it is more of a friendship than it is him being their coach. And sometimes, man, you can't mix business with pleasure. Uh, there's no accountability at all. You can tell that Steve Nash is not holding Kyrie accountable to anything. Um, you know, people want to put the, all the blame on Kevin Durant and Steve Nash, but I think this is more so about Kyrie Irving. Why? Because he's the point guard. The point guard is the quarterback of the team. You set the tone. You control the pace of the game. And I just think that um, the Kyrie style of play is not winning basketball. Don't get me wrong. He's a phenomenal talent. I think he's an elite. Uh, skillful player one of the most skillful players I've ever seen in my generation but uh, you know I think he's a he, he, he's a ball stopper I think he over dribbles way way too much um, there's there's not any flow in the offense uh, you know and he doesn't impact the game other than just scoring and so when you're talking about your point guard somebody that's leading your team you need somebody that's gonna be able to do other things be a leader um, play good defense um, set set your teammates up when it's time to set them up. Understand when to be a killer and, and, and want to get off the ball, especially when you got somebody like Kevin Durant. And I'll never forget, man, the last couple weeks of the season when they played the Hawks. It was up 13 points in the fourth quarter. Kevin, that's, the game, that's the game Kevin Durant had 50 points. And uh, they was up 13, and Kyrie in the, in the last eight, nine minutes of the fourth, like he was just coming down, just going one-on-one, iso ball, shooting contested step-back three-pointers, just making a lot of questionable uh, decisions in that fourth quarter and end up losing. And so when I saw that, I said, the Nets not going to make no run in this playoffs because Kyrie is not going to allow his team to ever get in the flu because he wants to have a ball in his hand majority of the time. He's going to dribble the ball 20 seconds out of 24 seconds in the shot clock. Um, he's going to take bad shots at the, at the wrong moments. And he's not, he, does, he just haven't, un- he doesn't understand when to get off the ball and get his team involved. And right. I think when you when you have a point guard like that, you're not going to beat the good team, especially when you talk about a defensive-minded team like the Celtics. It's toxic. And a lot of these problems, when, when, when people see these star-studded lineups, they look good on paper, but there's a lot more to it. And, and even, like, stylistically, like, yeah, their play styles might not gel, but at the same time, something as simple as they just might not like each other. They might not be good friends. You, you, you know, like, you've had several teammates, I'm sure, where I'm sure y'all were ballers, and y'all, if y'all put your heads together and played y'all would have been a great duo but it just doesn't work he just doesn't get along i'm going to compare kyrie Irving to someone though it's going to hit close to home for us but uh james harden i think shows me some similarities in kyrie irving's personality uh 
questionable leadership, definitely holding the ball a lot. And yep. it just seems like James Harden was the problem. You pair him with Dwight Howard, you pair him with Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, I mean, Eric Gordon. You get you get him a squad, you allow them to go on these runs. They played the Warriors and got stopped by the Warriors five out of five times. It seems like James Harden, his style of basketball is not going to transition well when it comes time to playoffs. He's going to turn the ball over. He's going to burn out. He, he 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 hits his ceiling and he just lets it go. Then that confidence aspect of it too. When James Harden starts snowballing and things get mm-hmm. bad, it just piles on top of each other. When it rains, it pours. That's how it goes. And uh, even the way he exited Houston was just questionable. I mean, it seemed like he he could have handled that situation a whole lot better. It reminded me, you know. Ky- Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs, but honestly, a little bit worse just because of the fact that he was out there, you know, whether it be in the club or even getting arrested with little baby in Paris. Yep. I mean, that yep. that kind of stuff is just not what you want in an MVP of the league yep. or in anyone in the league, for that matter. Speaking of the league, though, we got the NFL draft going on tonight. Main topic of discussion, especially around here, is going to be the cornerback. Who's the first cornerback taken? You think? I think all all signs point to you know Sauce Garner. From Cincinnati, uh, and when I say that, I'm not at all saying I think he's better than Derek Stingley. Um, this is solely because Derek Stingley has hasn't been healthy. Um, you know, the foot and uh, the other injuries he's had since he's been at LSU is the only reason that you know he's going to go out to Gardner. But uh, I, I see Gardner going in the top five. Uh, I think he's a really really good corner. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't had a touchdown caught on him um, his whole career at Cincinnati. And he, he's a corner that I feel like has gotten better every year. Um, you've seen that progression from him. And then he has the measurables. You know, I mean, 6'2", um, long wingspan, you know, athletic. So, uh, I think whatever team picks him today, they won't get a hell of a corner. Does the experience kind of... Worry you per se as Sauce Gardner's playing in a, a, a I'm not gonna say a much easier conference, but is the uh, the competition and the type of game speed, game style, type of players he's guarding. Like Derek Singley's gonna guard Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson every day, mm-hmm. and those guys are already probably some of the greatest rookie wide receivers in NFL history. Yeah, I mean, when Stingley and, and Chase used to go out of that practice, man, it was something to behold. You know, I remember one day it was on Instagram or, or might have been Twitter, and it was going back and forth showing the clips from. When it was at LSU, going one on one, and I mean like Stingley went one, then Jamal went one, and then like it was like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so like you see, when you're going against somebody like Derek Stingley, or you're going against somebody like Jamal Chase, then he was, he was going against uh, Ju- uh, Justin Jefferson, going against Terrence Marshall. Stingley knows what it feels like to to guard elite receivers on an everyday basis, so that does come into play. You know what I'm saying? And uh, the freshman year he had as a corner. He proved that he can do it on this level. Yes, the injuries are concerned. I can see why some NFL teams would be a little leery of picking him in that top 10. But to me, if you're just talking about what he's shown on film, um, his measurables, and the competition that he went against, not only in the SEC, but at practice every day, I think, you know, Derek Stingley going to be a pro bowler for years to come. The injuries do worry me, but the fact that LSU's DBU and he's got guys like Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson showing in day in and day out trying to help him get better, the the iron sharpening iron aspect of it, but also the fact that Sauce Gardner played 33 games, Derek Stingley played 25. That's an eight-game differential, which is about, give or take, three-quarters of a season. So he definitely does have less time played. However, I think 
what he showed, what Singley showed at the pro day, and his forty time, and his shuttle speeds, and all those different drills, he looked ready. And I don't think he was at a hundred percent. So if Derek Stingley can put these numbers up, wow, scouts that much at eighty. 70 80 percent what can he do at 100 sauce Gardner definitely is a a good pick but it's just one of those things like man do you really want to count someone from lsu out when we're literally dbu right right undeniably but another popular question is going to be the best quarterback in this draft i personally think malik willis is a guy Mm -hmm. i think malik willis has that uh that it factor about him he kind of reminds me of uh like the sean watson Mm -hmm. he's a good lamar jackson just with a big arm uh seems like he's got all the intangibles, uh, but another we're going to kind of segue back to what we were talking about, the competition aspect of it. He played at Liberty. So mm-hmm. you got guys like you know Kenny Pickett and guys like Matt Coral and all that but getting this type of experience. How much does that does that, does that that play in selecting a quarterback? Is there going to be any difference in that, or is, uh, is it just I mean, mechanics? If you, go back, if you go back and look at years past, uh, you know, some of the best quarterbacks um, come from smaller schools. You know, when you talk about – uh, you know Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz went to what, what, North, North Dakota State. So I believe so. You know, um, when you talk about people like uh, you know Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson went to NC State and then he transferred to Wisconsin. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, California. You know they didn't go to the blue blood schools, so to speak. And so uh, they they have quarterbacks in the NFL that have, that, that that has had success. Um, that might not have went into the Alabamas or the, or the LSU's or the you know the big time programs around the country, and still was able to have a good career in the NFL. So I think you know, for me, I think Matt Corral is probably my favorite out of all the quarterbacks. Um, I don't love one particular quarterback in this draft. I think it's one of the weakest drafts that we've seen. Um, you know, I know they say the Saints can might possibly pick a quarterback. I hope that doesn't happen. I don't think any of these guys is worthy. Uh, of us picking them with that 16 or that 19 pick, but if we if we were to pick one of them, I would want to be Matt Corral from Ole Miss, man. I think you know, you know, playing in that offense with Lane Kiffin, who runs a similar offense to a lot of these NFL teams, similar to what uh, I think Pete Mark Carmichael is going to do with the New Orleans Saints, um, his mobility, um, and the games he had against Alabama. Uh, I think he's a quarterback that that has the tools. Um, to be really good in the NFL, um, I think what what hurt his draft stock is the ankle injury yep. that he got um, in the bowl game. Too. In the bowl game, so I think if he didn't, if he had he not got that injury in that bowl game, uh, they might be saying Macarell probably be the first quarterback at the board. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. But you know, I, I like Macarell as being the the best quarterback in this draft, though. And his over under on the Barstool Sportsbook is at thirty nine and a half. So, with that being said, the Saints would be able to select him outside of the first round. Who do you think the Saints need to select with that first round pick? Definitely not a, another offensive tackle. Man, I, I've been saying it all week, man. We we gotta pick a tackle and a receiver with, this, with these first two picks, man. We gotta take care of um, Jameis Winston's blind side. Uh, Teron Armstead signed with the Dolphins, so we gotta take care of that blind side, man. So whoever's the best available tackle on the board. Uh, when we come up at 16, all of it's at 19. However, they want to do it. Um, we got to pick a tackle and we got to get another receiver to go opposite side of Michael Thomas. You know, since Sean Payton's been here, man, we have not had uh, a real number two receiver. You know, for for a long time, we didn't have a number one. Right. You know, well, you know, we had Jimmy Graham for a lot of those years, but we ne- we didn't have a number one. You know, I, no disrespect to Marcus Colston. Marcus Colson was a really, really good receiver in his own right, but he never made a Pro Bowl. He never was a, a, a receiver that was considered a top 10 guy in the league. 
Um, but Michael Thomas is that guy. He's proven it. Um, if we can get somebody to go opposite side of him in his first round, you know, I think that's going to help Jameis Winston out a lot. It's going to help Pete Carmichael out a lot. And it's going to help um, Alvin Kamara out a lot. You know, defense is not just going to be able to load the box and focus on him. And we can motion him out and, and get him matched up on a linebacker and a safety. And I think that puts the Saints offense, you know, in good position, man, to, to be able to put up a lot of points and, and, and um, skill defenses. Is Jameis Winston the guy for the Saints going forward for the next couple of years or is it more temporary? I think it's temporary, man. I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not sold on Jameis Winston yet. You know what I mean? Um, he, he didn't play bad last year, but he didn't play good either. Mm. I thought, I thought he stayed afloat. I think this, that was more about Sean Payton than it was about Jameis Winston. You know, he protected the ball, and like Sean Payton promised he would. But I still think that, uh, you know, and, and we could talk about you know Jameis Winston not having no, you know, his number one receiver. And, and all the injuries that the Saints had last year, and I know that probably did play a, a part into why, you know, he didn't look his best in those first seven games of the season. But all I, I keep thinking about when I think about Jameis Winston is his, his days in Tampa, you know, when he led the league with 30 interceptions. Um, and then he just, I question his leadership, so to speak. Um, you know, he does some questionable things uh, sometimes that just make you say to yourself, like, what were you thinking? So, uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm just I'm a believer in Jameis. And look, I hope I'm wrong because I'm a diehard Saints fan. I hope Jameis comes out this year and kills it right. and, 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 and shuts me up. But I'm just not sold on him. I think at some point in this draft, you see the Saints go after a quarterback and, and, and put himself in a position to where we got somebody for the future. Yep. As you're setting yourself up. Uh, speaking of another Saints <clears throat> excuse me, New Orleans player who isn't playing. Uh, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas, how do you think that that's going to go into next year? Do you think that he's going to be able to resolve issues with the team now that Sean Payton's gone? Yeah, I think I think Michael Thomas, man, is very motivated. You know, sitting out over a year and a half of football, um, I know he's anxious to get back on the field and show people that he's still that guy. Um, and I'm anxious to see how him and Jameis is going to get their chemistry uh, flowing this year because uh, that was something I was looking forward to uh, when Michael Thomas was coming back, I wanted to see how him and James was going to jail. And so, uh, I think you see Michael Thomas come out and put up some big numbers this year and, and get back to where he was two years ago. How do you feel about Dennis Allen taking over Sean Payton's spot? Dennis Allen, you know, that kind of thing, he was on the coaching staff for, what, 12 years with Sean Payton? He's going to be able to keep the culture and whatnot, but at the same time, is that a good thing that you're keeping that system? I wasn't a huge fan of them making Dennis Allen the head coach. I really wanted him to hire Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I wanted to keep that offensive-minded uh, head coach in play um, because I think if you had you done that, uh, you might have been able to get a Russell Wilson. You might have been able to get somebody like Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? You know, right. we're thinking, but those guys might have been more prone to, to explore that idea. You know what I mean? And so when you hire Dennis Allen, you know, I, I knew we wouldn't have a chance at any of those guys. You know what I mean? So I think that, you know, I, I think Dennis Allen is a great def defensive-minded coach. Uh, I think he learned a lot under Sean Payton coming back to the Saints after he was a head coach with the Raiders. Um, so the mistakes that he made back then, I, I'm sure he's not going to make it now. And then Mickey Loomis is, 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 is putting the right parts around him um, for him to be successful. I think the real question mark is, how is Pete Mark Carmichael going to do as an OC, you know, right. we all know he didn't call any plays when Sean Payton was here. I'm pretty sure he had a say so in the game plan and stuff like that. But uh, 
I'm curious to see how this offense is going to look what people call Michael calling plays and how is he going to continue to develop Jameis Winston going forward. I think that's the that's the key thing going forward. You know what I mean? And so when we didn't hire Eric Bieniemy, that was that was my my whole focus. I'm like, man, how this offense going to look? Because if we didn't hire Dennis Allen as the head coach and he would have moved on, I think all you could have did was promote Chris Richard, who is uh, the um, the secondary coach, the defensive coordinator, who did a great job with the Cowboys as a DC. You know what I'm saying? And then you still have, you got people like Ryan Nelson, who's the D-line coach for the Saints, who's one of the best D-line coaches in the NFL. That defense still could have stayed intact and still had that coach on that side of the ball if you lost Dennis Allen. But on the offensive side of the ball, man, it's a big question mark with Pete Carmichael. There's a lot of question marks around. Uh, one of the questions I got for you is, what do you think the Saints playoff picture is looking like next year? With uh, Tom Brady pulling a little fakey, look like they had no competition in that division, and then all of a sudden, now they got uh, the Bucks back in here. You know, like I said on my show earlier today on FanView, man, I said that this is the most important draft since 2006 when Sean Payton got here. Um, what we do in this draft is going to determine how we look next year because we have so many key holes that we need to fill. You know, when you talk about that blind side, that left tackle spot, man, that's a, that's a very pivotal position in a game of football because if James Winston we already know his decision making is questionable he's shown that you know what I mean yeah. so if he if he if he gotta always keep looking back you know in his peripheral on his blind side not having that protection there he's gonna be more prone to make bad decisions so we got to solidify that left tackle spot and then you gotta give him another receiver on the other side of Michael Thomas like I said um, I think we need to look for a tight end even though I know this is a weak tight end draft we gotta get a tight end. Adam Trotman has just have not lived up to the bill. Um, I know we we picked him like in the fourth round from Dayton, but he has not shown that he can be a good tight end for us. Um, he has dropped a lot of balls. He's not a good blocking tight end. Um, I think, you know, that's a position of concern this year. Um, in this draft, I think that's one of these rounds we're gonna have to address that. And at running back, um, you know, Mark Ingram being on a one year deal with Father Time kind of catching up on him. Uh, we need to find a running back in this draft. I know we've been, I know this, and some of our mock drafts they got us picking uh James Cook, the running back from Georgia, which is Dalvin Cook's little brother. Um, dog, yeah, dog, and very dynamic. And then you got to think about it. Alvin Kamara is probably going to be suspended four to six games. We don't. Cadell hasn't came out to say how many games it's going to be. We know we going. He's going to be suspended. We just don't know how many games. And if you go off his past. His past um, situations with, with Zeke and Ben Roethlisberger and people like that, they usually get suspended between four and six games. So if we got somebody like James Cook to come in and fill that void while Kamara's out for those four to six games, I think, you know, he's not going to be Kamara, mm -hmm. but he can still give us that same dynamic that Kamara brings. Agree. He's got that championship mindset and then being around Kirby. Um, Even to catch out the backfield. Talking about predictions, what about LSU football? LSU football's got a lot of talent. they got a lot of good potential, especially with the coach scheme. A lot of things changed. Pretty much all the bad things or <clears throat> all the downsides for LSU football last year have kind of been addressed and uh, restructured. I, I personally think LSU's going to be, you know, 9-10 win team going into next season. They definitely could be in the discussion for the college football playoff. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, so uh, I was actually looking at their schedule a couple of days ago, and I actually – Got them starting off 5-0. and You know, they played Florida State in the Superdome, and then they played uh, Southern, and then Mississippi State, New Mexico, and then Auburn. I think where the real challenge is going to come in at is when they go to Tennessee. 
well, Tennessee comes to LSU when they play Tennessee. Um, I think what uh, what Hypo was doing over there at Tennessee, their record might not show it, but Tennessee was really, really good last year. And they, they got they got some good transfer portal kids coming in. Um, you know, they, they, the starting quarterback, I forget his name, he comes back. I think Tennessee is going to be really good this year. I think that could possibly be LSU's first loss of the season when they play Tennessee. So I, But I actually have the, the, the um, Tigers starting off 5-0. And uh, I have them losing three games this year. I have them losing to um, Bama. Uh, I have them losing to Florida. And I have them losing to AM. I have them losing to Florida as well. Florida's going to be the game after Tennessee, correct? Yep. They're going to travel to Florida. So I, I, I think LSU is going to start out 6-0. But I think last th- three times LSU has played in Florida, they are 1-2. Mm-hmm. So mainly in this rivalry when LSU plays Florida, when they go to down to Gainesville, that's normally when they go down and, and take the L. Last year... Gainesville Gators came over here and we put a whooping on them. Mm-hmm. High scoring game of the season. Tyron mm-hmm. Davis Price record in rushing. Yep. I think that's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. They might have some things to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we might get caught off guard. That's one of our first real, you know, SEC competition. One of yeah. our first real big games, first big rivalry game where we're going to be put in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. That Bama game, though, I, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's definitely going to be hard. I think all Alabama LSU games are naturally close just because of the rivalry, just because of the energy. Uh, I think the fact that they're coming to Tiger Stadium, that circumstance, man, I don't know. If, I, I think that D-line can get to Bryce Young. Yeah. I think if we can you know, get him make some questionable decisions, we might be able to sneak out of there with a win. And if we can do that, that will put LSU right in the college football picture, yeah. playoff picture. Yeah. Look, and look, this year one for Brian Kelly. And so if he goes – um, they only they only have three losses on this season. That's a success. You know what I mean? And I know when you talk about LSU, man, it's always about getting to the college football playoff and competing for the SEC championship, competing for national championships and stuff like that. But I think if he can come in in year one and only and only leave this this season with three losses in the regular season, and you know, I'm pretty sure that'll get him into a really, really good bowl. I think that's a lot of momentum going into Year two, and you yeah. got a lot. You have a lot of good players coming back. You know, if Nussmeier's a starter, he'll be returning. Yep. Uh, Jack Mason. Jack Jack Beck will be returning. Um. Uh. Uh. Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas, all those guys will be coming back. Now you're talking about the best team in the SEC, probably. You know what I mean? Yep. And so, you just want to see some type of improvement from the last year. Because the last year, which is, it was, like, let's be honest, man, it was bad. It was bad. So I think, you know, in year one, people got to be, have realistic expectations, man. Yep. You, you can't expect in year one for, for LSU to come out here and be competing for the national championship. If it happens, I'll be very surprised. I think that LSU is going to be able to put together a good scheme. there, and, and I think last year how strong that defense was, we got everybody back. One of the main problems LSU had is going to be injuries. And another problem more to Derek Stingley's point um, a lot of guys kind of I'm not going to say tapped out last year but you know yeah. not a good outlook on the season head coach you know. dismissed looked like they weren't making a bowl game a yep. lot of guys took a business decision and sat out but uh, I appreciate you coming in the studio G Sports is there anything you'd like to say? Man I appreciate you having me on man uh, you know I like what you're doing uh, I think the sky's the limit for, for 
the verd and verdict. I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Uh, just keep doing your thing, man. Keep being passionate about it, man. And you're going to see this thing elevate. I appreciate it, Sam, as well. We're going to be seeing a lot more of G Sports. And thank you for uh, tuning in. This is the verd and verdict. You can catch us streaming live on YouTube Fridays at 7. Today's going to be a special episode for the NFL Draft and the Pelicans game. It's like uh, we got big presents today. Yep. It's like Christmas Day. Yep. Yep. So, I can't wait. Tune in live, Verd and Verdict, Sat Fridays at 7 p.m. Streaming on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, much more. Thank you. This has been the Verd and Verdict.